When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the season wrap-up episode of What I Did Next from ANT Media. I'm Chag Desai and taking over hosting duties today from your host, Malik Fouad, who's also with me today. Hi, Sharag. It's nice to be in the guest seat for a change. It's been interesting, right? I mean, we do this at the end of every season, which is lovely. Uh, it also means that we've come to the end of season four. Yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm surprised at the speed of all of this. Um, first of all, that we are in a, in season four, <laughs> and that we're at the end of it. Um, it just seems like yesterday that we began the podcast. Um, th- this particular season has been a little bit challenging, let's say, a bit more than usual. Um, how are you feeling about it, Shirag? <laughs> you must be pretty tired. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like how you said, uh, you know, a bit challenging. Yeah, so, yeah. so I appreciate you using yeah. your words very carefully. Very carefully. Um, it's been very different. So normally, just to put that in context, uh, we generally work quite ahead of schedule. We're kind of, uh, you know, working a few episodes ahead in terms of our production and getting everything together. Uh, the season was challenging on that front, especially because I think we had one of those summers after many years, uh, and definitely the first time since we launched the show, uh, where it was an actual summer. People were traveling, everybody was away. Uh, so actually booking guests and getting them to record with us uh, didn't really happen in the, at the at the frequency we would have liked over the summer. Um, and so that obviously just you know changed the schedule. And that's not counting the fact that we had some postponements and uh, some rejig of the schedule itself, right? So yeah, we had some postponements, some cancellations. We had a lot of last-minute deadlines. Um, we had some tech issues, which had never happened before on my end. So we had to make a quite a difficult call, actually, of yeah. saying, "No, we're not going to air it as it is," and um, we are hopefully, hopefully, going to have a, a redo of that um, in the next couple of months and bring that to to our audience. Um, so that was relatively challenging. Um, and, and I feel as well that we had a more intense social media campaign. I'm not sure if we actually did or if it just felt like that, but I think it was, it was very, very positive because there was a lot more engagement from the audience, um, from, um, on the social media side, I think we expanded our reach quite significantly. But it was definitely a season where we were down to the wire. Definitely, and th- I think that was a part of uh, part of why the social media side felt more intense as well. I think because it was normally we're figuring out clips and we're figuring out promotional things far earlier than we did this time. But let's kind of dig into the season uh, as well, like like we do normally. Uh, so let me get some quick thoughts from you first in terms of how you felt the season went and maybe some of the themes that 
stood out for you this season compared to to previous ones? So as always, we always try and bring in um, four women and four men um, and always have a mix of industries. And I felt we we really hit the target this year or this season um, on the kind of caliber that I'm trying to achieve with this podcast series. I think each person that we had epitomizes their industry in a very positive and significant way. And I was very excited to have this combination of people together in one season. So that's the first thing I want to say. Um, the the other thing I want to say is just how interesting they all were and how engaged they all were. And, you know, there was not one person that you know, came to the table uh, unprepared. One of the interesting ones for me was actually Tariq Noor because he came with a notebook with with copious notes. Yeah. So it wasn't even just he had prepared and thought through the answers. He actually wrote down a bunch of things yeah. that he wanted to make sure he highlighted uh, as he was talking about his life, which was fantastic. What do people ask you? What are your top five uh, pieces of advice to the, the new ad man or the new people entering the industry? What are your, look at your book again. <laughs> I knew you would ask me this question, so I had <laughs> Look in your book I said, again. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I have to. I wrote something. The other person who had done that in the previous season was Ahmed Haikal. So these are two titans of their own industry. Um, and they were had approached it like schoolboys you know coming to their exam and i i found it really endearing and really um uh, very you know i felt very honored and very privileged that they gave it that much attention but preparation when we talk about that is they don't they don't approach anything lightly which is the kind of the subtext there which is to say if we're going to do this it's an interview a podcast uh, you know we're going to talk about our life i want to be considered about it i want to go back and think about my pivots and i actually want to reflect on them and share different instances that I think were key in my life, which I think is is phenomenal. But that was the other thing I noticed, which is when I spoke with people of a certain age or who had reached a certain point in their career, um, like Tariq Noor, like Fadi Randour, like Naveen Tahri, um, these are people who had scaled the heights and had come out on the other side and were kind of looking back a little bit. Some had retired, some had not, but were still had reached a point where they were able to have a bird's eye perspective. And you felt with, with those people in particular that there was a sense of contentedness, that there was a sense of a fulfilled life, that they had done it on their terms. Uh, and everyone has ups and downs, and they all did, but they came out of it um, with a sense of achievement and um, and uh, and peacefulness, which I thought was quite interesting. And then the flip side to that, which I thought was equally interesting, was when we had younger guests. So this season we had um, uh, Nadine, Dr. Nadine, who is the uh, founder of Proximy, which is a very innovative online um, uh, medical platform. And of course, we had Amy Mouafi, who is such an integral part of the media scene in Egypt and, and beyond, and Caroline Luca, who's part of the mm. art world. So these are three women who you feel that they still have a lot to achieve. Um, they're at that uh, point in their careers where, um, in some cases, there's a tipping point feeling. Yeah. Um, in some cases, there's just a lot of excitement about their next step and their next challenge. And you can feel that they're hungry for what's gonna come next. And that's a very exciting phase to be in 
And it's a very exciting thing to listen to as a as an interviewer. You, it's contagious that sense of um, what's coming next, and I want more, and I can see around the corner. Yeah, it's like almost saying that, like you know, maybe ten years from now, when they are reflecting on their pivots, like yeah. <laughs> this is the part that exactly. they talk about exactly. as being pretty significant. In Amy's case, for example. Um, I think the agency model is at a certain place and therefore I want to do this. And I know five years from now, I'm building for that today. I think, Malek, that every agency, traditional, digital, whatever that you want to call it, we're all living on borrowed time. And I am not willing to be like those people who sat in the room and laughed at the idea of television being dead for advertising because I'm scared. I would rather own it, understand that we are doing we are running this agency as passionately as we always have but i have my backup plan you know what people are always going to need they're always going to need the amplification which is what the media does the commonality there amongst a lot of the guests was as you said it's this the concept of technology being the foundation and the underlying element of a lot of their businesses a lot of their careers um three of the guests i remember clearly spoke about ai um, so mo obviously is a big ai proponent but also very um very aware of how it needs to be harnessed in order for it to yeah be he's, a, he's a he's a thought leader in that space for sure exactly yeah. and then um obviously with with carol we spoke a little bit about um, uh, the NFT world and digital art uh, and um, and just how technology is underlying every single thing everyone is doing now. I mean, it's that's the bottom line. Yeah. You can't escape it. Uh, every industry is now, and obviously Nadine, Dr. Nadine, her entire company is based on that technology. Um, so that's, you know, that's another observation. Uh, it used to be that technology was seen as um, uh, an addition to a business and now it's the core it's the core platform that everything jumps off from you know so uh, I mean again you know we we part of the reason we do this in addition to kind of just taking a moment to reflect is also we tend to see some themes happen that are not necessarily planned for right so I think one of the things that happened for us in the previous season was we got all of these different views on social media right as being and everybody's kind of love-hate relationship with social media. Um, and then this season, I think the underlying point was technology. And again, a love-hate relationship with technology to say uh, there is a bit of uh, embracing of it in the case of, uh, let's say, someone like Amy looking at Web3. Um, there is... Uh, a bit of caution and a bit of nuance when you look at how Dr. you know Caroline Luca was talking about NF the NFT world and what it, what it comes out in the future, and then you have someone like Mo Gordas who is absolutely a thought leader but also kind of very informed in his take of saying I think we have to take steps today to reach the world we want to reach, um, and so everybody kind of kept bringing that up and I I thought actually Tarek Noor's sort of view on AI and actually a little bit on social media and algorithms as well. Uh, was really interesting, right? Because it was he was looking at it from a very a view of like this is not my world, but I can see what it's doing and the impact it's having. No, it was definitely a an underlying current all the way through, and and uh, and I'm sure it will continue to be so. I mean, even to the point I think where as we go forward, it won't even be an issue we raise; it will just be a given. One of the other things, and, and it kind of ties into this because we used a lot of this content that we were talking about, we used it as part of our bonus content, right, that we're done with our guests. So this was the first 
season that we tested out a subscription option or a subscription offering, uh, which is basically you get a bunch of bonus episodes. You get a bonus episode of each guest. So a lot of times the conversations you have with the guests, just to share some of the thinking there, um, involves some stuff about their industry that we get a bit deep into. Not necessarily something maybe we include sometimes in um, when we think of pivot points. This is something we decided this season to provide as an offering. So if you're um, if you're a subscriber already, thank you very much. Uh, if you're not one, we hope you'll check it out. But uh, every guest has had some bonus content with them. And so AI actually has featured in <laughs> all of the, in the three that you mentioned, uh, where we've, we've kind of moved that conversation almost like a fireside chat about their thoughts, about different things that are happening in the world. One other, we did it, you know, originally as a, as a, a way to grow the business and as a way to grow with the podcast industry in the Middle East. And it was something that you were a big proponent of, Shirag. I, I had, I've already been a subscriber on other podcasts, so I knew what it meant. Right. Um, and I was happy to take a leap of faith. I mean, I didn't know what to expect. Um, and I think it's, a, it's always very positive. I think we are, at the end of the day, we are um, part of a new, relatively new industry in the region. Um, and if I may be so bold, I think we are to some extent leading in the, in the field on, on a lot of, um, way in a lot of ways. So it's only right that we should have jumped in and, and added the subscription service. Um, in terms of the content, I think, uh, it was your call and I think it was the right call to, um, make the additional content more focused on the, the nitty gritty of each person's career. Because let's say you're a, you're a, a member of the audience and you love, you've read every book of Mo Gaudet and you just love his story. So getting that extra bonus with more yeah. about him is, is extremely valuable, especially when we've got the, we've got the material. I mean, we, my interview with Mo lasted nearly two hours and we went uh, into so much depth about quite a lot of things. And, you know, obviously we want to share that with our audience. We want to give them everything that we've we've collected. And I, and I would add as well that when you look at something like the subscription um, as a model uh, that we're doing, and, and we're always amazed and, and love the fact that you are listening to the show and you're coming on this journey with us and, and enjoying what we're doing season by season. Uh, but then for those of you who want more, you know, there's more, right? And that's kind of, we're trying to tap exactly. into that a little bit better exactly. or a little bit more and, and see what we can do and how we can engage uh, with with our listeners yeah, even more. So for us, that's that's where we see that. Um, and so, yeah, we're excited to see how that continues, yep. especially now that we know that that's a part of it. And so it changes how we think exactly. even as we're going into the episodes. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I wanted to take a minute to tell you about our bonus episodes, available exclusively for subscribers. On each bonus episode, I take a deeper dive into my guests' industries, and I share some extra parts from our conversation. For example, you can find out more about the screenwriting process with acclaimed filmmaker Mo Hevzi, or about the luxury design industry with Monez and Ayad Raouf, the sisters behind Ukhtin. 
All of these great stories are only available on our bonus episodes, so subscribe now to unlock this amazing extra content. You can subscribe in Apple Podcasts by clicking the subscribe button or on our website and get instant access to all our bonus episodes with a two-week free trial. And now, back to the show. One thing I was very excited about um, in this season was that we got a great uh, feature about um, ANT Media and um, what I did next and um, our partnership, Shirag, in startup scene, which, um, for those who don't know, um, is a online uh, magazine about the startup world. And they did a very in-depth Q&A with both of us. Yeah, it was, a, it was a proper deep dive. Yeah, it was a real deep dive. It was about the. It was about my thinking about how, why I began the business, why I began this particular podcast, um, and all that sort of background. And we talked about the industry as a whole in the region. We talked about what's coming next for ANT Media um, in terms of the new offerings we're looking to do. It, it, it encapsulated exactly... Um, what I'm thinking of and where I believe um, the industry is going and, and you know, our place in it. Yeah. And I think there was some interesting stuff there as well about kind of looking at the audio world and the podcasting world, like, you know, in comparison to the other aspects of what we call the larger creator economy, which is, of course, video. And um, there was some talk about radio as well and all of that. Uh, it was actually, yeah, it was it was actually fun to do as an interview as well. It was. It was a lot of fun. And then, of course, um, we were thrilled with um, being recognized by Apple for the second year in a row. Um, they have slightly changed the way they categorize um, their sort of end-of-year awards. So in uh, 2021, we were nominated um, Best of 2021 or Among the Best of 2021. And then um, this year, they put us into a category called uh, podcasts that make us think, which I absolutely love. I couldn't have asked for a better category <laughs> because it's exactly where the space I want to be in. And um, and it's really an honor. Um, and that's in large part due to the fact that we have been able to attract just such high caliber guests um, and have really um, intellectual conversations, meaningful conversations um and and it's made people think it's made i mean you know it's kept me on my toes in every interview um and it's uh, it's really been um been quite phenomenal and we're very very pleased to end the year this way yeah and and we should also thank each and every one of you who are listening because you guys are making sure that you're listening to every episode uh and that's also ensuring for us right like the ultimately all of these things have a lot to do with um sort of the listener response to us in the platforms. Um, so I think it's it's wonderful and great that, um, you know, we are among the shows that make uh, people think. Uh, but then as as we saw, and, and this came up in, in, the, in the Spotify rap thing, which they do as an annual thing as well, that our listeners are enthusiasts, right? They're people who want to, you know, the moment the episode's out, they want to go listen and they want to kind of consume all of it. Um, and I think that that's a testament. Uh, and we want to also just be a bit clear that Spotify does a list for, does a sort of statistical breakdown for each podcast at the end of every year. And so we got that, which is exactly what you're talking about, Shirag. Yeah. And what I was so surprised about was that we have large listenership outside the Middle East. Uh, on Spotify, yeah. Yeah, on Spotify. So in the UK, in the US, I was floored by that. Yeah, and again, like you said, I think it's it's we've been very fortunate with the with the guests who who've agreed to come on and, and actually share as we as we just said a few minutes ago, uh you know, be very considered and 
reflective and and looking at their journeys and being honest and sharing uh, insights that I think anybody anywhere in the world would be interested to listen to. Um, and then we've had amazing support from um, our listeners who are, again, listening on every episode. Um, as you mentioned about social media as well now, you know, we have an engaged community who's responding uh, to the videos we post and, and, and things like that as well. Um, and so it's amazing to see this sort of community grow all of us together um, as we continue to program, as we continue to bring, uh, you know, an all new season very soon um, and, and what the response is and how that's going. I think now is, uh, you know, uh, a natural place to discuss our sponsors. You know, um, we've we've been lucky enough to have amazing sponsors since we started um, this season. Uh, EFG are back with us. They've been with us from almost from the beginning. Um, and we also have Sodic, and, you know, these are forward thinking institutions. Um, you know, podcasting is a new industry and, um, for these institutions to have decided, well, actually we're, you know, we want to be in this space and I'm grateful, obviously. And, um, and I think that they're at the, they're at the entry level of, a of hopefully what will be a, a big, a big burst in the industry, you know, positive, uh, uptick in, um, in more in more creation of of podcasts and and a larger awareness of podcasting, so I think that's a great thing. You, you mentioned engaged uh, sponsorship, right? And I think that that's been really interesting as well this season. Uh, from the EFG side, we you know we kind of focused uh, the awareness around their EFG Hermes One app and and sort of the, you know how they're working to do that. Um, but also just as interestingly, when we had sort of those initial sit downs with with Sadik, where we kind of looked at how can we creatively share their message? Uh, and that's how this campaign came about, where we actually spoke to the residents who live in their communities and kind of what their experience is like. Yeah, d definitely. I think creatively it's been very uh, exciting. Um, and the fact that Sodic were willing to to jump in and do it that way, I thought was really fun. Um, again, it's a, it's a sign of a mature company, a company willing to to take risks in an environment that they didn't know well. They don't know podcasting well, but they were willing to take our lead on that. And we made that suggestion and and they ran with it. And it was kind of fun to have an interview within an interview. You know, that's what it was. I mean, <laughs> we had our main guest, our main yeah. uh, main guest interview. And then within that, our ad break was a, a mini interview with a resident from from one of the Saudi properties. And it was really fun. And Sodic were able to find people who um, were uh, in their own right very interesting. So they either had pivots or shifts, um, and they were they owned property in different areas around Egypt. So it was it was a really interesting, nice mix of people. And then of course we did um, a much more in depth interview with the MD of Sodic, Megid Sharif. Um, I went along and spent a, a day with him and the marketing team there. And we did um, a quite an in-depth discussion um, where we talked about his own pivots, his own background, his career, and of course, um, his vision for Sodic and, and what's going on with the company. Yeah, so, so we're going to actually uh, share a part of that interview now. Um, on this episode. Uh, so I'm glad to hear that you had a good time. It looked like you had a great time. Uh, I saw some of the videos of you guys walking around Alegria and stuff. What did you ask him? Where did you get started? I actually began by asking him, like I do with all our interviews, when was the last time you did something for the first time? About six years ago, I did my first Ironman race. And uh, for almost six hours, I was you know, questioning, what have I done to myself? Why am I doing this? And since then, it's become an addiction. 
and I've been doing it like four times every year. So I would say running my first Ironman race uh, for the very first time was the last thing I did about six years ago. And where did you do it? My first race was in Florida. And since then I've raced in a number of places. So I've raced in, uh, again, Florida, in uh, Qashqai, in Portugal. I raced in uh, Haugesund in uh, Norway. I raced in, uh, in Turkey several times. I raced in uh, uh, Abu Dhabi. I raced in uh, Dubai, Oman, Bahrain, and Egypt. It's quite an uh, intense program, Ironman. How do you prepare for something like that? Until six years ago, uh, I was a squash player. I still play, not frequently, as frequently as I used to do. But at one point in time, it was very difficult to find a partner uh, to play uh, against. So I started, you know, switching to something that I can do by myself without having to rely on having someone else uh, around. So I have to train on about 10 times a week, which means that three times or three days I have to train twice. So I have to train uh, on uh, for swimming, for biking, and for running. And you you start preparing several months in advance, obviously. Well, I, I train uh, 365 days uh, a year. Wow. So I don't skip unless, uh, you know, I'm traveling or unless I'm uh, ill or so. But uh, I have to train 365 days uh, a year. Of course, there's, I mean, before any race, there's like a, a build-up. Yeah. Uh, so you start building up for a couple of months before any uh, race, but it's something that gets into the system and becomes part, it's a lifestyle. And is it something you do on your own or you have a team that you work with or you have buddies you do it with? We have a team, we call it Tenacity, uh, and actually Sodex sponsors Tenacity. We have amazing athletes uh, within this uh, group. We all train uh, individually, but normally we do our long ride, bike ride on uh, on Friday. So this is when every, I mean, the entire team comes together and we cycle together. Let's go back in time a little bit. Um, and I would like to talk a little bit about um, your childhood, but, you know, childhood, education. Mm -hmm how you decided to study what you studied? So since I was very young, I always wanted to become an architect. I had an uncle who was an architect and he was a role model to me. Uh, and, uh, you know, I decided I'm going to become an architect. And I I got my uh, and I went into uh, the uh, School of Architecture, Kulit Handasa, which is Faculty of Engineering, Cairo University. I graduated uh, 1986 as an architect and then i felt that my passion is more towards business so i started you know getting somehow into the business side this is when i decided to go for my mba and i got my mba from the american university in 1998 and since then it's been you know very much on the business side and of course i have to admit that the engineering and architecture background has been an asset because doing what I'm doing right now, which I've been doing for the past, uh, since 1997, I've been doing the same thing, uh, real estate development, having the uh, engineering slash architectural background is definitely a plus. And definitely, definitely the master's degree that I got was a game changer for me. Mm. And so it complemented what you already had, the basis of the know-how of architecture. You had the 
complementing of the business on top of that? Absolutely. Yeah. In 2014, I felt it was uh, maybe about time. It wasn't looking very, you know, uh, um, promising uh, at the time. Things in in Egypt. So I decided to move to the U.S. Uh, uh, I'm a resident of uh, Florida. My family is there. So I moved uh, to the U.S. and I was starting a couple of uh, businesses over there. I was there for a year and a half. Uh, and this is when um, Dasha, my predecessor and my friend, called me and said, Magad, I'm leaving. Would you be interested to come back as CEO for Sodic? So although it was very clear to, to me that I wanted to you know, continue and I started already was starting businesses in 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 the U.S., but Sodic had a certain sparkle uh, that I couldn't resist. Yeah, and it had a track record already that was uh, very well known and established. It had a track record. It had uh, a successful transformation story uh, around 2005 uh, through 2015 when I was uh, approached, and it had a specific, you know sparkle that I couldn't uh, resist. So there was a formal process. Uh, I met the board of directors and I was appointed as the managing director of the company. I started with uh, Sodic in um, October of uh, 2015. Tell me, how is Sodic different to where you worked in other places before? What is the Sodic difference for you? I always tell my team and I always tell everyone that I've been, you know, responsible for other businesses for big businesses, but I mean, this company is very, very different. This company is an incubator. So when you look at competition all over the place, our people are there. So they are incubated in Sodic and then they're headhunted by others. We have an amazing culture. Mm -hmm. It's about uh, ownership. It's about uh, loving what you do. Uh, it's about bonding between uh, no backstabbing it's about it's all about the business mm, mm. sodic has always been a non-family owned business and until the acquisition that took place a few months ago by eldar uh, slash adq when when they acquired 85.5 percent uh, of the company shares until then the biggest shareholder probably owned somewhere around 15 percent. so it has always been a company that was managed by the management teams with authority that delegated to them from the board of directors. And it was, you know, always about delegation, about believing in people. And again, it is something that I love to do because I believe in my team. And very rarely that I have to really interfere in anything that, that they do. They always come back to me seeking, you know, mm -hmm. advice, seeking direction. But yes, I am a believer. I never micromanage. Contrary to that, I stay at 30,000 feet. I watch how the business is going. Everybody uh, reports back to me. We're, again, very different from any... I mean, the culture is very different from yeah. any other place that I've worked. I mean, I think in, as far as I can see, this is how big businesses should be run, where the CEO is very much the big picture man. And uh, the day-to-day -day gets you know, run uh, internally by other people. And I love when everybody gets credit for the work. So I make sure that everyone gets gets credit, gets the right exposure, gets known by the board of director, uh, gets known by the shareholders that this person or this lady is doing a fantastic job, and this is where they, you know, get the credits. So I love to see yeah. this happening.
But when you joined the company, um, you said 2015, right? Yep. Did you think of two or three areas that you kind of pinpointed at the time or you've pinpointed as you've gone along and you say, this is what I'm really concentrating on? Rebuilding or reconstructing the management team was the major, major challenge. You know, having to build a management team for a business as big as such and a company that has been in the market for 20 years mm -hmm. uh, was a, a very big challenge. And again, we had to go through a number of uh, iterations until we got to a uh, homogeneous uh, blending uh, team that uh, the team that we have uh, today. That was a challenge that lasted for a few years. Did you go back to people you had worked with in the past? Did you put out feelers for new people? How did you do that? No, Malak. My objective was to allow people to grow from within the company. People who have served the company for years, seven, eight, nine, ten, twelve years, and allow them to grow into positions. So my objective was never uh, to uh, hire someone from outside unless uh, the talent is not present within the company and we are in desperate need to hire. But priority has always been, and when you look at the management team today, I believe all of them had joined the company before I had joined it. So it's talent that was incubated and that grew from within the company into higher positions. That's interesting because you, you also get that way your management team feel that they're owning they're owning the, the, the company themselves. That's one thing, and you're sending a positive message to everyone inside the company. If you work hard, if you present yourself uh, uh, properly, you have an opportunity to become a very senior executive mm -hmm. in the company. Mm -hmm. So it's a positive message yeah. to everyone in the of company. Course. Another area was, of course, uh, trying to manage uh, a number of uh, shareholders. Historically, Sodic has always uh, sold what they've developed. Uh, and we had to build a case that, no, there are certain kinds of assets that you need to retain because this is part of placemaking. Yep. Not only that they're part of placemaking, but they represent a good you know, source of recurring income. And you know, being traded uh, in the Egyptian stock market, this attracts certain types of investors who can see some sort of a, a steady stream of income. And you're building communities and you're creating... That's part of the placemaking. Exactly. So you're building your community. So these are the two areas that you saw, you saw as your focus when you began. Definitely. And this is still actually now that we have Aldar slash ADQ as major shareholders. Uh, this is, you know, somehow bread and butter in, uh, in what, they, uh, what they do. Mm -hmm. And they are really providing a lot of support uh, to us in building the right platform that supports uh, holding this type of, uh, mm -hmm. of properties and managing them, operating them uh, successfully, of course. Uh, so actually, this is a uh, some form of a direction that we're getting mm -hmm. from our shareholders as well. And how do you mitigate against the volatility of just the market, what we're in now, for example? Um, do you have a sort of a crisis team that you rely on? Are there people you turn to? So first of all, Mark, let me tell you that uh, the, uh, the market, uh, the Egyptian market is a very solid market and it has very strong underlying uh, fundamentals. So it's young population we be believe in. 
There's you know a number of things that we can talk about, but it's a very solid uh, market, a very solid sector, very strong uh, underlying fundamentals, and it never dies. We've seen fantastic uh, results, not only by Sodic, by but by other uh, reputable, uh, developed, serious developers who have been in the market for years as well, which we have lots of uh, you know respect to as well. So the market continues to continue to perform very well during very challenging times during COVID-19, during uh, devaluation, uh, uh, and we still are experiencing uh, you know growth uh, mm -hmm. in uh, in in the market in general in our market share as well. So yes, there are challenges, but the market uh, sometimes gets sick. But sure. Uh, it's a very strong yeah. market. Um, I think also COVID-19 might have actually almost been a, a lot of businesses suffered, but your residential projects might have almost had a boost because people who were still living in the centers, the center of town suddenly realized they couldn't take it anymore and decided to move. A lot of people I know very did that. Very true. That's very and true. And did you see an uptick yes, in... Uh... Yes, yes. And we could see it in uh, in resale as well. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, we have, uh, you know, visibility of the number of transactions that happen within our uh, our community, our communities. Uh, so we could see how people were so anxious to move out of the city. Because, I mean, living in a community, a gated community like Sodequest or any of its sub-developments, you know, the, the beauty of you know being able to park your car, being able to walk out, uh, walk down uh, the streets. Uh, you want to cycle. You, yeah. At times of curfew, that was a uh, a blessing. Uh, we, you're getting all the services through our facility management uh, arm, our wholly owned subsidiary uh, Edara. You have access. Uh, I mean, once the clubs were allowed to open, you have access to your sports facilities, to some form of uh, yeah. social uh, life. I mean, this is something uh, that it was a real blessing. And we could see that people who lived a different quality of life, being part of uh, a community as such, they had you know some form of um, impact uh, on others. And we could see uh, how people, uh, some form of a hype was created. People want to move into yes. a gated community. Yes. You know, we're doing these uh, small... Um interviews with residents of mm -hmm. Sodic properties. Yeah. Some of them live in Alegria, work at Polygon and own a property on the North Coast. So they're completely embedded in the in the Sodic atmosphere. And they were saying how the COVID time was uh, seamless for them because they just carried on with their lives normally, their children. And it's uh, it's quite a, a blessing to so have. So you that. have the schools, you have the medical facilities, you have the office park, you have the clubs, you have uh, you have it all. Yeah, yeah. You can yeah. live a uh, without having to move out. Exactly. I cannot promise you the sea here. You cannot promise <laughs> you the beach, but the beach is but uh, it's two hundred kilometers away. Exactly. I want to go back for a moment um, and maybe identify another area. Uh, in the last 18 months, you were very involved in, which is the acquisition by, yes. by Eldar. Tell me a little bit about how that came about and then the final um, the final announcement, if you like. I guess it all started uh, uh, actually before that, uh, maybe a year before when, uh, when I was introduced to uh, Eldar CEO and the management team. And at the time, they were looking at Egypt and, you know, looking at different uh, options or alternatives of 
tapping into the Egyptian market. So at the time, the discussion was about doing something together. Maybe we can co-develop something. And we started helping them studying some of their uh, projects. Uh, I personally was involved. Uh, some of my team members were also involved in this exercise. And then COVID-19 hit. Uh, so everything was, you know, stopped. Ah, the process began before, before COVID, that. I see. Before COVID-19. Okay. So it was a sort of an introduction at the time with a different agenda. Uh, and then they came back and said, well, we love, we like the company. We like the management team. And we would like to, you know, elevate uh, the game. And rather than just, you know, doing something together, actually we want to uh, place an offer on the company and try to acquire the company. They presented what they uh, submitted, what they called the NBO. Uh, and then you know, we started, we went into uh, due diligence. It was a very lengthy process. People sometimes uh, had to stay in the office. Uh, my team uh, working uh, three, four days uh, nonstop to deliver all uh, the requirements uh, on uh, on time. And I believe that because everyone uh, left uh, uh, a very positive uh, impression on uh, Aldar, uh, when the, the acquisition uh, happened, uh, I believe it was in December of 2021, after seven months of very tough, mm -hmm. very structured due diligence, having to deal with very specialized consultants, I mean, they loved uh, what they saw, so they decided to proceed and they submitted their MTO. And how have things changed since then? Have they uh, got a vision, a, specific, a special vision that they wanted to uh, bring into Forthodic, or were you carrying on as you had been before? We're building on what we had before, but uh, because they believe strongly and highly of uh, the potential in the Egyptian market, they come and think of uh, Egypt as a vehicle. Uh, they have aggressive plans to grow. So that brings us to the end of this wrap-up of season four. It also brings us to the end of the year. Uh, so any last notes from you, Mark? Yeah, I just want to, as always, thank our, our audience um, who are so engaged and um, I'm glad that the, that the show is resonating with them. Um, I'm, I'm very, very happy about that. Uh, I also just want to do a shout out to our social media team, actually, Shirag, because they really are um, integral to our work and they're really doing a, a phenomenal job. Um, so that's another thing I wanted to say. And then just in closing, I just want to remind everyone that we are going to take a little bit of a break now and we should be back early March. Uh, in the meantime, you can follow our news. We're going to be doing a lot of uh, clips on previous episodes, um, some montages, some really fun stuff coming up in the next couple of months. And you can find us on Instagram, on Twitter and on LinkedIn. And I wish everyone a happy new year and see you in 2023. Yes, happy new year.